In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Advent is a season of preparation and of waiting. If the hymn is correct, before the joyous celebration of Christmas, every heart should prepare him room. Give space for the King of Kings. Now maybe this idea of preparing yourself conjures up some ideas maybe like spring cleaning, of sweeping, dusting, maybe some general decluttering that most of us willingly or begrudgingly undertake before our company arrives. Goodness knows that if my home is a reflection of my heart, some tidying up would be a good thing indeed. <laughs> but perhaps you've seen through this initial statement and you see that there's a problem here. All of this good and necessary work we do of sprucing up our hearts or our homes is superficial at best. The reality is that beneath our carefully curated exteriors, the twinkling lights, the welcome mats, the Christmas tree, the real messy state of ourselves remain every bit as corrupted, broken, and neglected as they always have been. This is a hard truth to hear. It is harder still to recognize that there's absolutely nothing we can do to change that. But there is hope. Remember, in Advent, we are waiting. And what are we waiting for? We are waiting for God himself to come and to set things right in his world and in our hearts as well. In Malachi's time, God's people had been waiting, and they had been waiting for a long time. They had watched as their kingdom fell apart and fell away from God piece by piece, ignoring time and time again the prophets and their warnings of what would happen to them if they disobeyed God. And we know what happens. Judah falls. God's people are taken into exile. They are under the rule of a pagan king, and the intent is to have them assimilated into one great empire. This was God's judgment. Hope seems lost, but God remains faithful to his wayward people. And we know this because after long years of waiting, they are allowed to go back with Nehemiah, and they are allowed to rebuild their city walls, and they're allowed to rebuild their temple, and eventually to return to their homes. But all is still not quite right. God has not yet returned to his temple for worship. The people, although they do have their homes now, they're still under Persian rule. They are not free. And so doubt creeps in yet again, and God's people fall back into the same self-destructive patterns that their ancestors did. The people stop believing in God's love and faithfulness to them, and so they stop taking the law seriously. And as a consequence, their faith slips away, and they become as corrupt as the nations that surround them. Now it is into this time of darkness and political misery and corruption that the Lord speaks to his people through Malachi. And he responds with some tough love, the way any good parent does from time to time. And this is what he says. This is what we heard today in Malachi 3. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way for me. 
and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant, in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. And that's great news, right? This is exactly what the people have been waiting for. But God isn't finished. He goes on. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Now this part doesn't necessarily sound like good news, right? It sounds a whole lot like a reckoning, and no one wants a reckoning with God. Wasn't this supposed to be about redemption? Yeah, it is. You see, our salvation comes to us through the crucible of God's refining fire. So, um, when the Lord speaks of a refiner's fire, he is referencing the process by which, at that time, precious metals were purified and were separated from the lesser metals and the impurities within. And again, this is going to be in layman's terms because I'm not a metalsmith, but I appreciate the craft and maybe one day I'll get behind a forge. But the process goes something like this. You take this gold ore um, that still has all these impurities, just however you found it, and you put it within a crucible and then you put it in some heat. And within that, at first go, a lot of the lesser materials are burnt up. Then this mix is taken out, it's ground down, you give it a good rinse to let all the impurities go away, and then you have these flecks of gold. Then you take the flecks of gold and you put them in a crucible with salt, with brick dust, maybe some lead, and you melt it down again. And whatever impurities remain within those flakes are burnt up and the purified gold is left on top so that when it comes out, then you can take it out and reheat it and shape it however you will. Now, this is a labor-intensive process and there's many, many steps that have to happen just right before the gold can be used for its intended design. It would require a very careful and skilled craftsman to oversee this process. So what does that have to do with us? Well, God puts it this way. Jesus Christ, our Lord, is our redeemer and our refiner. We, God's people, are the gold ore. And the refining fire that God speaks of, that's our salvation. And this is good news for you. You do not refine that which you do not intend to keep. Let me say that again. You don't refine something you don't plan on keeping. It is precisely because we are God's people that he actively refines us. He wants to shape us into who we were meant to be all along, pure and blameless for the day of Christ, as Paul says in our Philippians reading today. Because our God is holy, he cannot tolerate sin. Because he wants us to be as we were intended to be, which is sinless, he must remove this dross, these impurities from our life. And T. Wright puts it this way in his commentary 
on Luke, which is the gospel we heard today. The reason God brings rescue and salvation is precisely because he is the holy and faithful God, keeping covenant with his people. But if that is so, he is bound to bring judgment as well as mercy. And we have to be honest here. The smelting process can be painful. We don't get to choose what God burns away. Sometimes, maybe it even feels like we and our whole entire self will be burned up and there's nothing left for God to redeem. But we must trust that all of this is happening for our benefit. We have to somehow wrap our minds around the idea that this refining work is coming out of the tender mercy of our God. The tender mercy of our God is to put us into that fire. As I was preparing for this sermon, I came across this quote from Pliny the Elder, who is writing on the process of refining gold back in his day. Gold is the only thing that loses no substance by the action of fire. Indeed, as a matter of fact, it improves in quality the more often it is fired. And fire serves as a test of its goodness. <clears throat> now, Pliny is not specifically talking about the refiner's fire the way that God is, but it's interesting to note that the value of gold is never doubted. It is extremely precious from the moment it is mined out of the earth, flawed, corrupt, and impure. It is no accident that God uses this metaphor when he's talking about our own redemption. We have always been, and we will always be of infinite value to our God, no matter how flawed, impure, or corrupt we are when he finds us. In a commentary on Philippians, Homer Kent says this, God not only initiates this salvation, but he continues it and guarantees its consummation. Nothing in this life or death will prevent the successful accomplishment of God's good work in every Christian. And this is the hope that we have to cling to during Advent. In the words of St. Paul, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it through to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. We heard that this morning. The good work that Paul is talking about, that's our salvation. That's the refiner's fire. To draw this out a bit further here, in Malachi, God promises that he's sending his messenger. And that messenger is none other than John the Baptist. We heard in our gospel reading today that the word of God came to John in the wilderness, just as God promised it would, and that John started preaching the need for baptism and repentance for the forgiveness of sins. To tie it back into this gold purification metaphor, just as the flakes had to be washed clean of the burnt filth before it could be thrown back into the fire, so John prepared the people for the coming of their Lord Jesus, who would baptize them not with water, but with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And so it is with confidence that we can trust in the rest of God's promises. 
God is coming. Our salvation is coming. Nothing can stop this glorious plan for our redemption that God has and has already put into motion. The furnace is lit. Our crucible is prepared even now because the light of the world is coming to burn all traces of sin from his world and from our hearts. Up until early this morning, this sermon was written. It was set. It is done. But then God spoke. He woke me up and he spoke. And when God speaks, you listen. And he led me to understand that it's not enough for me to just talk to you about this purifying fire and the good that it does. I have to tell you what that fire is. It's not merely judgment or a manifestation of God's holiness, but this refining fire is none other than God's pure, unadulterated love for us. That's what I was picturing, God's pure, unadulterated love. Can you imagine it? A love so pure, a love that burns so bright and so hot that anything that it encounters that cannot stand it, anything that is not love, is immediately burnt away. That is the refining fire. That is true refining fire. This past Saturday, a friend of mine entered into glory after a long battle with cancer. Marilyn was many things to many people. She was a counselor. She was a pastor. She was a spiritual director, a prophet, and for many, a spiritual mother. Her family kept growing because her heart was so tuned to God's heart that she loved anyone who needed it. And we all did. This type of love, when you see it, when you see this pure love of God, it is transformative. You cannot help but be changed. I would not be here if it were not for Marilyn's heart and for her love. She knew this refining fire. She embraced it. And now she has gone before. It is our job this season of Advent to prepare ourselves, being ready and willing to step into that holy fire, this unquenchable love, and to let him burn away all the impurities that are within us and that have taken hold. We trust God and we believe that this fire will not be the end of us, but this is a new beginning. We trust that we will step out of that fire, in fact, and we will have not hearts of stone, but hearts of flesh, soft and on fire for love of him, ready to love his world and all those in it. Do not be afraid of this fire, for all flesh shall see the salvation of God. This is the hope we have been waiting for. Wait for the Lord. Amen. Amen.